Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record, 9.68. The wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast as we continue our interview series with Olympians past and present and some that aren't even Olympians that are going to be Olympians and everything else in between. We had an Olympic gold medalist last week on with Jamie Soleil. We've got another Olympic gold medalist on today in the form of Rugby Sevens gold medalist Charlotte Caslick, of course, was a member of the successful women's side that won the inaugural Rugby Sevens women's gold medal in Rio and a great chat here with Charlotte learning a lot about how she got into rugby how she trains and everything else in between it is a fun chat here that will keep you very much entertained during your time listening to it without further ado here is our interview with Olympic gold medalist Charlotte Caslick. We are continuing on our interview series here on Off the Podium with Olympians past and present. And we're very excited today for our next guest, the first taste of Rugby Sevens we've ever had on this show. We have with us today an Olympic gold medalist from Rio, a key member of the Australian Rugby Sevens side that won gold in Rio. And reading through her career stats and and looking at everything she's achieved, I feel like I need to also add not only Olympic gold medalist, but the best rugby sevens player in the world. I I think that is up there with Olympic gold medalist as well. Uh, I do, of course, speak of the one, the only Charlotte Caslick. Charlotte, first of all, welcome off the podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's um I mean again looking at your your resume your career stats here it's um it's it really is incredible. What 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 sounds better? Best player in the world or Olympic gold medalist? I mean which one of those do you kind of go yeah okay I'm more proud of one of those than over the other? Um I'm probably more comfortable with Olympic gold medalist <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um best player in the world sometimes sits a bit funny with me. I guess it's hard to feel that about yourself in a way, um, especially when I've got such a great team around me and um, I probably wouldn't classify myself as that. So, yeah, I think Olympic gold medalist for sure. Something that you can never have taken away from you. It's obviously uh, an amazing thing to have that uh, part of your name. But I love reading about so many of your t- you and your teammates and everything, sort of how you got into the, the sport, how you even ended up in Rio because – you didn't really start with rugby, did you? You kind of, you know, played a lot of different sports and it's sort of a letter in the mail, basically, and, and you are eventually going to become an Olympian. I mean, t- tell us a little bit about how all that worked and how, you know, all that came about. Um, yeah, so there was, um, I obviously did a lot of sports growing up, but um, touch football was sort of, like became my main sport, I guess, from when I was about 13. Um, So I played for the Australian Women's Open team and touch football when I was 16. And then um, 
we were at a tournament for that against playing against New Zealand and a few of us received letters in the mail from Australian Rugby Union asking us to come to a training camp. Um, they sort of explained that um, Sevens was an Olympic sport and they were trying to just scout some players to build up the program and they were trying girls from all different sports. So we had like netballers, girls from athletics, um, basketball, and then obviously our touch girls. But um, I think for us, because it's not the same, but obviously the skill set's very similar. So um, there was a lot of things we could take out of touch football and bring that towards rugby. When you get that letter and kind of see the words Olympics, you know, kind of we're looking for these people to eventually go towards the Olympics. Is, was that something that you kind of always aspire to? Was As somebody who played a lot of sports, was Olympics something that you thought you'd like to achieve and this kind of gave you a ticket to potentially achieve that? Um, yeah, definitely. I played hockey since I was five and um, I was a massive Hockey Roos fan and um, I guess when I was five, that was like their golden era and they were almost unstoppable. So um, I kind of thought that was my path when I was really little. And then um, I did a lot of athletics and competed for Queensland and ran at nationals since I was 10 and um, became obsessed with Kathy Freeman and kind of thought maybe athletics was my thing. And then um, I used to get really, really nervous with athletics though. I don't know if it was just because it was individual or um, yeah, I'd put a lot of pressure on myself. And then I found when I played touch, I just felt comfortable and um, I always had so much fun doing it. So um, yeah, when I was about 13, I kind of gave away my Olympic dream to pursue touch football at the time, um, which looking back on is pretty random because touch couldn't offer me what other sports could but I guess um in a way it led me to rugby seven so it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made meant to be it kind of seemed like it was sort of written (laughs) in the stars almost like that how how, what drew you into to touch football when you started playing that um I think the social aspect of it definitely um like I loved hanging out with my friends and um there's just something about touch that's just really fun and we spend hours and hours training on our Sundays and um, spent so much time doing it and travelling all around Australia together and, yeah, I think you just we all just became such good friends that I had such a great time doing it and um, the skill set came really naturally to me and I just felt like I was at home every time I was playing touch. So, um, yeah, I think when things come naturally to you it makes it a lot more enjoyable so with that then when you try out for rugby sevens did that feeling transition across to rugby sevens Mm -hmm. when you first tried it out um when I had the ball yes when I had to defend no (laughs) (laughs) so yeah the defensive side of it um just took a little bit of time to adjust and get my head around the fact that I was playing a contact sport um, and like just took a lot more work than I probably thought at the start. Um, but yeah, like now I love contact sessions. They're almost one of my favorite days of the week is when we do contact. So things have definitely changed since I started when I was 17. Cause I can imagine for all of you who had been invited from touch football, it's sort of, yeah, that's the number one rule of touch football almost, isn't it? Like don't tackle, you can only touch, <laughs> but if somebody like coming from basketball, which okay, it's not as physical as rugby is, but it's more physical than touch in a way so I'm sure that you know there there's a bunch of touch football girls there all of a sudden like oh what I can tackle this is weird and you got basketball players and I was like oh, yeah come on get you know get a bit rough come on this is what the sport's about 
Um, yeah, sort of. I used to laugh a lot. Like I would constantly be giggling and I think it was just because I felt really awkward and uncomfortable. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. It probably like, it took me ages to sort of get my head around it. Um, but at the same time, I guess the fact that there was a group of us that sort of were making the transition at a similar time, it probably made it easier because we had people to practice with. And, um, the rugby girls were also really great with me. You know, they'd spend some extra time helping me and, um, giving me little bits of guidance every now and then. So, um, yeah, I was definitely lucky that I had good people around me at the time. How, how was the sport? sort of before the the Olympics, you know, in terms of participation numbers, like how was the Australian team at, at that point before it actually became an Olympic sport? Um, yeah, it was definitely growing at this stage. Um, we'd obviously won the World Series the season before um, for the first time and um, New Zealand had always been uh, the best to that point. Um, so obviously everything that New Zealand is good at, we try and compete with them and we love that rivalry that we have with them. So um, it definitely was growing. Um, but, yeah, once we won the gold medal in Rio, you can – like the numbers just skyrocketed and those girls and programs getting set up all over the country and um, programs for younger girls as well, which I think was probably the main thing. There was the opportunity for girls to play at 12, 14, 16, 18 rather than – um, previously in Australia, once you got to 12, you could no longer play contact sports until you turned 18. So um, I think that was probably the main thing is just the schools getting behind it um, post-Rio. Because, I mean, women's sport has just taken off so much in the last you know year, decade. Like, I mean, you know, where we are today to where we were, no doubt when you even probably started trying out for, for Rugby Sevens. I mean, it just it keeps growing and growing every single year. And I can imagine that... You know, the prospect of an Olympics is one thing, you know, representing your country, something you've done in touch football, but just kind of combining all those aspects, trying out this new sport and everything. How long did it take you, do you feel, to fully adapt to the the differences between touch football and, and, and rugby? And at what point did you kind of think, okay, well, this is my sport now, not touch football? Um, I think the opportunity that rugby was giving me made it a really easy choice for me to swap over. Um, like I love touch and I'm so grateful for the, um, opportunities and the friends and the skill set that it gave me to then develop into the rugby player I am now. But, um, the opportunities, I guess, in rugby are just so much greater. Um, when I turned 18, I got to travel to my first world cup, um, in Russia. Um, and then I was traveling all over the world. Um, with this really fun group of girls. And I think that kind of was the point where I was like, oh, yeah, like this is definitely what I want to be doing for as long as possible. How how quickly did it take for you to, to make the national side in terms of, you know, you get that sort of invitation? Uh, I mean, were, were you quick to adapt? Did they like what they saw straight away? Did it take you a while to kind of build up enough so you were then getting selected for Australia? Um, yeah, it was quite a quick transition. I would have got the letter when I was 16 and then – um, came in and out to a few training camps um, within that next year. And then I played at the Youth Olympics when I was 17. Um, so that was in Sydney and uh, we had like a really awesome team. There was maybe three of us, I think, that went on to Rio Olympics. So um, that was pretty cool to be able to say that we did both of those together. Um, but, yeah, and then 18 was when I made my debut for the Open Women's Team 
Which is an amazing feeling, no doubt. I mean, as I said, you sort of represented Australia, of course, in touch, but is there something different when it comes to kind of this is a sport again that you, you know, you never thought you'd be playing, I can imagine, and here you are sort of achieving that, you know, the peak of, of any sport, of course, is to represent your country and, and you had achieved that. Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy, I guess, how fast it all kind of happened, but um, I kind of went through it with the same group of girls that I'd been playing touch with, so in a way it was similar in the sense that I knew the girls and um, I had that like core group of friends around me still. Um, it was probably a little bit more daunting. Um, my debut tournament was actually at Twickenham. Uh, we played on like the backfield to start with um, and I was sort of like coming on and off the bench and whatever. And then um, the grand final was in Twickenham Stadium in front of thousands and thousands of screaming English as we wow. played England in that final. Um, to go from, yeah, playing touch football, which is pretty much an Australian and New Zealand dominant sport, to then being on the other side of the world in one of the most famous stadiums there is, um, was, yeah, like a definite change. Um, But at the same time, it's exciting. I think I love that aspect of it and um, it kind of makes you hungry to hopefully get to play in front of crowds like that. Which is a great Again. thing about Rugby Sevens is because, I mean, rugby, as many Australians know, is kind of only selective. You know, you might only have eight to ten countries in the world that sort of play it and even then a very small handful that I guess are very competitive. But the great thing about Sevens, of course, is, I mean, it's opened up so many doors to, to many other countries. I mean, me living in Canada right now, I didn't actually realise how big sort of rugby has become in, in Canada and how good, you know, Canada are in, in rugby sevens in both men and women and other countries as well, the US, uh, you know, non-usual rugby country, they're, they're good. You know, all these other countries, Fiji, of course, winning the, uh, you know, the gold medal for the, for the men. So it kind of does, I guess, not only open up these doors for these countries, but for you as a competitor as well, Charlotte, you get to go to England, you get to go to Canada, you get to go to places that you might not be visiting if you had stuck with touch football as well. Um, yeah, for sure. I think sevens is obviously, yeah, has that aspect. And, um, I think the way that it's played and like the excitement factor that it brings is so appealing for crowds. And, um, yeah, I think that's obviously why that we get to play all over the world. Um, but yeah, I've been to some pretty cool countries and almost every continent in the world since I started playing and, um, yeah, like met lots of friends and stuff from other teams and other countries. And um, it's a really probably one of the only sports, I think, that you all travel to a place, stay in the same hotel with like the people you're about to play against. Um, so you sort of have like a weird dynamic of on the field, we're not friends, but then we spend a lot of time in hotels together throughout the year. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a special sport and um yeah, we're very lucky, I think. <laughs> do, do you keep like a scratch map, like, you know, and kind of scratch off the countries that you, you visit along the way? Uh, no, I don't, but uh, I think my mum has one. So she right. comes to watch me a fair um, so they can scratch it off for me. But, yeah, I think I should definitely maybe invest in one. It would be a good idea, I think. Do you know off the top of your head how many countries you've ended up visiting? Uh, it would be over 20, I would say, but nice. I'm not. I don't know a number, um, but, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned that excitement level because, again, for maybe a lot of our non-Australian listeners kind of they might not be aware that, you know, depending on really the state you live in Australia, 
it will be you'll you'll have a differing opinion on on rugby because you know we kind of have a bit of a divide over what code of football you like. I, I grew up in Tasmania, so rugby clearly wasn't the the biggest sport for me. I've always sort of liked rugby, but not as much as I've enjoyed Australian football. But one thing that I remember watching Rio, which was really my first taste of watching rugby sevens, was like, holy crap, this is like rugby on speed, and this is just so so entertaining. And I I, I was hooked to every single minute of watching it. Do you find a lot of people will say that to you when they see you play or, or watch it? Because, again, people who maybe think, oh, rugby boring, but then they see rugby sevens and they realise, well, this is a completely different game to what I'm used to as rugby. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, and I think the way that um, myself and the girls play as well, like so expansive and our skill set usually surprises people at um, like how well we move the ball and obviously the speed of it. And I think when people come watch us live as well, it's like another – adds like another dimension to it and they again say like oh my god like we didn't realize like in person like how much faster it is and how you're always like all moving off the ball and um like how big the field is still and um all of those things but yeah I think for I found sevens um become really popular in country towns as well that don't necessarily have um the numbers to field a 15 aside rugby team, but they could get seven girls together to play rugby seven. So, um, yeah, I found that it's been like really quite popular in those smaller towns as well. And they really sort of jumped on board the sevens bandwagon. Is there much, and I'm not sure if it's the same in women's as it maybe would be with the men's, but is there much kind of pressure or desire once you're in sevens to maybe then go for sort of the full 15? So like, for example, with the men, like they maybe, you know, oh, the, the temptation of playing for the Wallabies and going to the Rugby World Cup is, is there much going on in that sort of in, in women's? And, and do many people kind of switch between the two or do you kind of have to make a decision which one you're going to want to play? Uh, we have got a few girls that play both. Like every time the World Cup comes around, they um, dedicate – those few months to the of the year towards um, the 15-a-side format. But um, I think I've found that the 7-a-side game um, out of all contact sport at the moment in Australia, like we're sort of leading the way and um, it attracts such high-quality athletes and um, I guess we're probably like the most professional outfit that we have for contact sport at the moment so um yeah I've definitely found that I haven't really been tempted to play 15s yet but um there is a world cup next year after um the olympics now so I guess that kind of might change some of the girls minds around what they're gonna do and if they can do both or if they're gonna have to choose I know some of the girls um in the French team have chosen to do the World Cup rather than keep training for the Olympics. So, yeah, I think it's sort of a personal decision. But for me, sevens is definitely um, where I see myself. It's in New Zealand, is it not, the Women's Rugby World Cup, I believe? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, it is. So, I mean, that's kind of also probably, you know, it's not that far away from Australia, of course. So, clearly, you know, there's that kind of, it's almost like a a home tournament. And, (laughs) I mean, I guess, does that where you sort of, you're saying you're weighing it up? Obviously, Olympics is your focus, the sevens is your focus. But would it be something that maybe you look back on your career to say that I played at a World Cup that is kind of maybe tempting you to at least give it a crack one day? Um, Yeah, I think so. Like, I think it's obviously a pretty um, cool spectacle to be a part of. And, um, beating New Zealand in New Zealand at a World Cup would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> but at the moment, I'm sort of more 
um, focusing on sevens and um, I guess I'll see where I'm at post-Tokyo next year and um, whether or not I need a break or um, if I want to keep training for it. So um, I'm definitely not saying no to it, but I think I'll probably have to just like reassess where I'm at post-Tokyo because um, I know after Rio I kind of kept going ahead like full guns blazing and found the next year quite draining and I think I didn't take enough time post-Rio to sort of, um, I guess, really let myself feel like all the emotions that were involved in Rio and the highs and lows of it and um, we kind of just like got home and there was so much to do and we wanted to see everyone and, um, yeah, it kind of takes its toll on you a little bit. Do you remember that moment when you were officially announced as going to Rio when you knew you were 100% going to Rio and what that feeling was like? Um, yeah, I do. We, um, had meetings with our head coach, Tim Walsh at the time. And, um, like he told me I was selected and then I got to the car and I rang my parents and my brothers and they were all kind of like, oh yeah, like <laughs> you're going, we all knew you were going. And I was like, yeah, but now it's not just like, cause obviously I'd played in every world series for the last four years or five years, whatever it was leading into it. Um, but yeah, it just, it did still feel different. It wasn't like it was getting selected for a normal world series. It was, um, still really special. Is there a level of caution in your mind from that moment, you know, you're going to, when you eventually walk on that pitch that first day in Rio, because I can imagine that it's a great feeling, you know, you're going to the Olympics, but the last thing you want to do is kind of go out in a training field and, and injure yourself and realize that you're not going anymore. I mean, does that weigh in your mind or do you just have, as an athlete, you just have to completely put that at the back of your mind and just go on as normal? Um, I think every now and then it possibly does, but um, at the same time, yeah, like once you start playing and training, you kind of forget about everything else and just focus on what you're doing. Um, but we had one of my teammates, Gemma Etheridge, she tore her ACL I think it would have been 14 weeks out from Rio. Wow. Um, opted to get the last surgery, which um, obviously speeds the recovery. Um, and she ended up making the team and coming to Rio, which was like an incredible story. And, um, yeah, like it was very inspiring to watch her go through that. But um, I guess you kind of just can never really know with especially a contact sport what's going to happen next. But um, you just got to train hard and hope your body, you know, doesn't have any freak accidents, I guess, happen. Can you explain a little bit about uh, your your position on, on the team, Charlotte, and kind of, you know, for some, maybe some of our non-rugby uh, fans out there, what exactly your role is when you are playing in Rugby Sevens? Um, yep, so I play halfback at the moment. Um, so I feed the ball into scrums and I throw the ball into lineouts. Um, which is a little bit different from the 15-a-side code where the hooker does that. Um, I sweep usually in defence, so I'm behind the defensive line, sort of like a mini fullback. Um, and then I guess like my role is sort of like I'm a ball player and distributor, but I also get to carry the ball a fair bit. Um, so I was lucky I had Alicia Quirk, who was my 5'8", and she – um, is a very good passer of the ball. So she kind of opened up a lot of space so I could have the ability to run. Um, but, yeah, I think um, I'm sort of quite well-rounded, I guess. Like I can 
carry the ball into contact and also um, ball play for other players outside me. What's a better feeling when you get the ball, go on a nice run, score a try, or when you land a perfect tackle and prevent maybe the opposite from happening? Um, I think maybe preventing, like making a tackle and preventing a try would probably be um, more, you probably get more of a rush out of it. Um, I'm not sure if that's because it's something that I'm not as good at or like wasn't as good at previously. So it's like I know I've worked really hard to get to the point of being able to make that tackle. Um, it doesn't come as naturally, I guess, to me as what um, running with the ball did. Um, and I think even like when you're on a team, if one of your teammates makes a try-saving tackle, you all kind of get this really big lift from it and um, you're kind of like, oh, God, like she just saved us there. Like we all have to lift and repay her in a way. <laughs> because with Rugby 7s too, I could imagine in terms of, you know, training, gym work and everything like that, whereas, say, the 15s, you know, it's a lot of heavy focus, of course, on the upper body, the, the strength. 7s is a lot more of a, a faster version of it. So is it more about the balance of mixing that strength when you come into a tackle versus the the need for that really quick play, which you maybe obviously have in 15s but not as much? It's not quite as fast as 7s. Yeah, we definitely probably focus more on speed and power. So um, not necessarily lifting really, really heavy weights, but trying to lift weights fast or doing movements that help us be more powerful. So um, obviously trying to like break tackles. Um, if we're powerful through contact, it will hopefully help that. And then going into tackles as well, just having that power into them. Um, so, yeah, it definitely is a bit of a balance. Like obviously we have to be really fit as well. Um, so the endurance is really important, but then, um, you don't want to do too much of that and lose sort of like your, um, high end speed. So I guess we probably like, I'm probably more like speed endurance based. And then you have like our wingers, like Elliot Green, who, um, focus a lot more on just like pure speed. Um, and then there's people like me that can run for her and she just let her kind of (laughs) do the big game and hopefully winners games <laughs> with the experience in rio your schedule obviously you basically were on there day one and kind of over and done with within three days but does that mean then that you didn't get to experience the joys of the opening ceremony things like that were you kind of just watching that back from the village because you had to get up early the next morning yeah we um didn't go to the opening ceremony the boys went um because they started day four but yeah we were just at home relaxing um it was a little bit sad I guess but we were kind of like so excited to be playing the next day that um it didn't I didn't really bother me I was pretty happy just hanging out at home um and then I think the boys because obviously Australia's a they got to go out first and then they got home relatively early anyway but if you're Zimbabwe or something you're (laughs) gonna be waiting there a long time before you get out is it, I mean, I can imagine that disappointment, but as you said, kind of that focus. But, I mean, that's obviously like a, a huge part of the Olympic experience. If you were like completely like, no, I want to have this experience, can you kind of go against team orders? Because you're a team, it's sort of the decision is made as a team and you sort of you, you're stuck with it even if you staunchly want to do it. Uh, yeah, pretty much. You just, yeah, do what the team's doing. And I think how coaching staff might have made the decision maybe with our leadership group I'm not sure um but yeah no one really questioned it some of us are pretty lazy so I think we didn't really mind that we wouldn't have to be standing on our feet all night (laughs) um 
and being able to watch it on TV is not as good, but like we still got to see what was going on. And um, yeah, I think a few of the girls were very happy that they didn't have to be standing up all night. That's for sure. Because I guess like on the flip side of it, surely your, you know, your program's over very quickly. Like you don't kind of get to experience a lot of the the fun and everything, uh, you know, of the Olympic village atmosphere beforehand, because you're probably so focused, but I guess on the flip side, because it's so quickly, your games are done, so you can really let your hair down kind of after day three unless, you know, the other athletes are maybe competing on day 16 and they've got to wait all that time. So that's, I guess, one positive of the Olympic experience. You had, you know, 13, 14 days of just living it up as a gold medalist. Um, yeah, it was awesome. We, yeah, finished day three, obviously one, so that made it even better. Um, and then we just went and watched as much sport as we could and, tried to support as many of the other athletes as possible. And, um, yeah, we were we got to do so many fun things. And I think um, we were definitely lucky in the sense that, you know, I had some swimmers that were friends of mine that weren't swimming for, like, another week after we finished. And, um, yeah, so I think we were lucky that we got to really enjoy that whole experience. And I think I definitely wouldn't have changed that if I could. The, the whole experience, of course, of winning a gold medal – incredible but i mean i guess you guys just dominated the competition i mean one draw aside completely undefeated beat new zealand in, in the gold medal match i mean you guys went in as a favorite so is there pressure going in in that kind of level or do you just kind of treat it like any other tournament and kind of forget that this is the olympics it's slightly different um yeah for me i didn't feel like i had that much pressure um I would have put a lot of, like, I put pressure on myself, I guess, to perform, but um, I didn't feel any external pressure coming my way. Um, I'm not really sure why. I think I was just sort of, um, we were so well prepared and we had, like, almost this belief that no matter what we were going to win, I don't know if that's a good thing or not because we obviously would have been absolutely devastated if we didn't, but... um, yeah, I just felt there was this sort of aura around the group that we just had this really strong belief that we were going to win and uh, we were prepared and we sort of were just like following a process throughout the whole um, like week leading in and then obviously throughout the tournament. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It feels weird to say that, but um, for some reason I felt really like comfortable and um, in a really good place going into it. Did it make it that little bit extra special that it was New Zealand that you beat in the final to win the gold? Um, yeah, I think so. I guess if we didn't get to play them throughout the tournament, um, we would have been disappointed because we always sort of um, benchmark ourselves against them and they probably do the same. And um, it's a special rivalry, I guess, that we've got with them that's been developing over a really long time, I guess, forever within Australia and New Zealand. But um, even for us in sevens, I think it's like, obviously developed over um, the last few years. And um, so, yeah, it was really nice to meet them. <laughs> and that that whole time frame from the final whistle to getting that medal around your neck how would you describe that to people? Because there mustn't be a, a feeling like that in the world for an athlete besides the fact that you are realising that this is it, you, you're an Olympic gold medalist. I mean, how, how can you describe that feeling to somebody who's never, like me, never going to experience it? Um, I kind of don't remember, which is weird. It's sort of a big blur, like from the 
final whistle till probably like we got our medals is sort of just like this big blur of I'm not really sure of the timeline and what things were happening and um, like we obviously walked off and media was there and they were so excited and like AOC staff and other athletes and um, like I checked my phone and I had millions of messages from people and um, there was probably a sense of relief I think because we obviously had that expectation that we were going there to win um, so to be able to that was almost relieving the fact that we actually did it. Um, but at the same time, I think once we won our semi-final against Canada, we kind of were all like, oh, wow, like we're Olympic medalists no matter what happens. So um, we were going into the final in a really good place, I think, of the fact that we were just so pumped that we were there and um, just sort of wanted to go out and enjoy the whole experience. But, yeah, after the whistle, I just, like, don't really remember. I blur of happiness and joy and we were singing and crying and yeah <laughs> and you get a nice little piece of gold jewelry at the end of it to sort of remind you of that what I mean what did you do with the medal like did you just wear it basically non-stop forever kind of like how long did it take for you to finally remove that from around your neck um I'm really weird with medals I don't really like wearing them so <laughs> it was a Kind of like when I get them I like take them off but um I think there's one medal I did keep on for a little bit longer um, but once I got back to Australia, it was sort of more like trying to make sure it didn't get lost and everyone, all my f- friends and family and everyone was trying it on and I'd go to school visits and it'd get passed around a couple of hundred kids and you'd just be hoping that it would return to me at some point. <laughs> <laughs> might be something that's kind of, you know, in the school kid's bag. It might be a little bit noticeable, <laughs> like, you know, Jimmy, what's that? Oh, an Olympic gold medal, you know, is that yours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's And it's also too... When it comes to to that, I mean, that must be the joy of it as well, like going to schools, getting to share that moment kind of with other people because, I mean, I don't know if you ever had that experience at all growing up, Charlotte, when, you know, you maybe got to have a a visit from an athlete or an Olympian who and got that opportunity to kind of see one because it it is something that sticks with kids for a long time when you kind of, hey, mum, I I held an Olympic gold medal today or something like that or you've got a photo with something around your neck and who knows, like something like that, a visit, you know, you could be inspiring someone at a school and in 10, 20 years' time they're replicating what you did and winning a gold medal for Australia. Um, Yeah, I think that's definitely been my favorite part about it and I think um in a way we've sort of led like a women in sport movement through contact sport and I think that's been really special as well just being at the forefront of um showing young girls that um you can still be a girl and you can still play contact sport that um when I was younger wasn't exactly socially accepted so I think that's been really cool but yeah I think um when I do get messages from kids and they dress up as me on book week or they dress up as something at school or um, they've got photos of me on their walls and um, just seeing how much it does mean to them to take a couple of minutes out of my time to just say hello and take a photo, let them hold my medal. It um, seems like not a big deal to me, but to them, I think it, yeah, it does really make a difference. Well, I hope it does anyway. It's great hearing that. Like it's just little things like that that I'm sure just make it, also worth it um you know really great to hear that what what did you do with the medal like what is a medal on display is it kind of just in the sock drawer like like what do you do with it now um yeah it's just in one of my drawers at home at the moment I one day I will get it framed I guess with one of my jerseys or something but um at the moment I think I just like 
being having it accessible and so when I do see kids or if I do go to a school visit they can touch it and wear it and um get something out of it rather than just having it sitting on a wall somewhere the one thing I always like to find out from medalists on this show Charlotte is have you ever tried to get free stuff with it like have you walked into Maccas with it around your neck and gone hey Olympic gold medalist (laughs) give me a big Mac or like you know gone down to Kmart and say like hey you know I really want that table like have you tried something with it um I haven't but I think um one of my brothers might have worn it out in a nightclub once and thought that maybe we'd get some free drinks or something but I think we were unsuccessful, so. Oh, damn. Did he at least get, like, some <laughs> phone numbers from some people or something? Like, hey, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> that would work. I don't see why that wouldn't work. I'd be intrigued. I'd be I'd be going up to uh, kind of chat with that. Obviously, with the current situation, I mean, right now, we, re- we shouldn't be talking to you. You should be, you know, getting prepared for Tokyo, kind of there, ready to go, obviously, you know, being delayed. Just in before that was all sort of, postponed and kind of everything like that what what was the mindset like from you were you hoping it was going to get postponed were you kind of still in in game mode expecting it to go ahead kind of what was that whole period like before it was officially postponed um we kind of went through a phase of thinking coronavirus wasn't a big deal for a bit and then (laughs) it started to get very real um and I think we kind of just accepted the reality of it and that it was very unlikely that it was going to go ahead even before it was announced. Um, I guess there's like a few, like some of the negatives that would come out of it is some of the older girls um, that were looking to retire post-Tokyo this year. Um, obviously they'll hope to be there next year, but they're not sure if they can stay on and um, they had plans to start families or to like move away and um, start the next phase of their life. So um, I guess not having them around next year, like the possibility of that's a bit sad and um, disappointing. But then we also have such a strong group of young girls coming through and I think that they will really benefit from the extra year of preparation. And um, so I think as a team, we might be stronger next year due to the fact that we do have this really good group of young girls coming through, but um, they were just quite inexperienced still. But um, next year they'll have that extra 12 months of training and that extra 12 months of hopefully some games um, if we do get to play before then um, under their belt. So, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of positives that we can take out of the fact that it was postponed. And what's the situation like for you now, Charlotte? I mean, are you able to train right now? Kind of does it depend on what state you're in? Kind of like what what's happening with anything at this moment? Um, we've obviously been quite lucky in Australia that um, they have contained the virus pretty well. Um, one of the Victorias obviously just had another outbreak and they've gone back into lockdown, but the rest of Australia is still um, doing quite a good job. So, yeah, we've been back training for... Oh, maybe two months now or right. six weeks um, as a group. So, um, yeah, we're still sort of ticking along and um, getting a lot of training in together. We're based in Sydney. Um, we've also kind of – I've had a, I've got a farm up in Queensland, so I've spent a little bit of time going back and forth there. Um, some days it's hard to be motivated when you – like I guess on Friday we were meant to be on the plane to Tokyo and we were – just in Sydney. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, 
um, that we had been doing for the last six weeks. But um, so I guess on days like that, you kind of get a little bit down and then it's hard to find the motivation to train for something that we're not really sure or like when we're not sure when we'll play again, we're not sure if Tokyo is going to definitely go ahead and there's a lot of uncertainty around. But um, I think at the same time, we're very lucky that um, we're in a country that's kept it so well contained and we are, we do have the ability to keep training because I know a lot of teams around the world don't have that luxury at the moment. Obviously the goal of course is back to back, no doubt next year, Charlotte. I mean, is that (laughs) something that you guys are just so focused on and, and think that you will achieve? Um, yeah, I definitely, I think everyone wants to go to the Olympics and you want to win and, um, every game we play, we go out there to win. So, um, definitely, I think the young girls have like a little bit of a way to go to get that belief in themselves. But, um, for us as a team, I think we just need to start winning on the world series again. And, um, I think winning is something you can kind of learn in a way. And, um, there's some girls in our group that probably haven't learned that yet. Um, so I think, yeah, a first point for us is to really, um, like set our mark, I guess, on the world series when it kicks back off and try and win a few of those lead in tournaments before we get there so that we can have that belief in ourselves once we're there. We're definitely going to be watching. And I, I tell you one thing, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, watching it again at the, uh, the Olympics. Cause as I said, I, I loved it. I was glued to it during our rear. It was fantastic. Charlotte, we uh, always sort of end off these chats with a few quick fire questions. These are based on a team Canada questionnaire. They put to some of their Rio athletes, bit of fun learning a little bit more uh, about you. And I, I hope there's at least one or two questions in here that maybe you've never been asked before. That's kind of always my goal to see. So we'll find out. I'm going to start off with, um, uh, uh, might be an easy one, might be a hard one. I don't know. Who to you is the greatest Olympian of all time? Oh, that is a hard one. Um, I'm probably, oh, I feel like you can't really go past like Michael Phelps and mm-hmm. Ian Thorpe, the ones that have won a bazillion medals. Um, <laughs> but I think um, Kathy Freeman's probably up there with one of, Australia's greatest of all time, just the amount of pressure that she had on her shoulders in the 2000 Olympics to win that medal. Um, and she just did it so gracefully and, um, you couldn't even tell that like, she just didn't seem rattled whatsoever. And I think she literally was carrying the weight of a nation on her that day. And she just did it. And yeah, I think that's inspiring things I've ever watched. For sure. Did you, when you were in the village, do you do you see Michael Phelps? Do you kind of, do you go around sort of spotting athletes like Phelps or Usain Bolt, kind of see like, oh, there they are? Yeah, we definitely were. We were like fangirling the whole time. Nadal <laughs> uh, was sort of like, he must have been on a similar training schedule to us, so we kind of crossed paths with him a lot um, getting on buses and um, it was exciting every single time, like day 10, it's still exciting. <laughs> do you get a selfie? Do you do you work out the courage? Be like, hey, hey, Rafa, you know, can I get a selfie? Ah, uh, nah, I didn't actually. He's like very focused, right? And yeah. fourteen girls running up to him, so yeah, we kind of <laughs> sure he's probably used to it. I think it was um, I don't know if it was Rio or it must have been London. I remember Stephanie Rice fangirling out over uh, Kobe Bryant, and kind of like there was a, and the whole Australian media picked up like, oh, Stephanie Rice with Kobe Bryant, and. You know, you sort of like, yeah, I, I, I would be like that. I would be in that village, you know, yeah. trying to be focused on it. But like, holy crap, there's Serena Williams or, you know, there's yeah. the same bolt. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm in the like, selfie, take a picture with me. 
terrible, <laughs> terrible at my job. Um, what were the first Olympics you remember watching? Um, probably bits and pieces of 2000, obviously being in Australia. Um, like I remember all the mascots and um, like we had lunch boxes and stuff with the mascots on them and um, the hype around it. So, yeah, probably 2000. Sid, and then 2000- Sid Millinolly, was that, was that what their names were? The, yeah. the Kookaburra, the Echidna and the, um, the what was the other one? Kookaburra, Echidna. Platypus. Platypus. Yes, thank you. Gosh. I, I had them on all my books and everything too. I'm like, yeah. God, yeah, no, they they were great. I don't know if you you'd probably be too young to remember when um Roy and HG had Fatso the fat ass wombat kind of as the the bonus <laughs> mascot, yeah. which I think people liked better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Um, if you could be any superhero, Charlotte, who would you be? Um. I think I love Harley Quinn, but I think she's a villain. Well, so, yeah. I mean, well, well, that's an answer. That's, you know, villains are cool, yeah. right? You know, super villain. I, I accept that as yeah. an answer. Everyone wants to be Margot Robbie. <laughs> I want to be Margot Robbie, you know. That's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite ice cream flavour? Um, Probably Hokey Pokey from Baskin and Robbins. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. Good old, the crunch bit. That's like the best part. Yeah. Of, of ice cream like that. Um, if you were a baseball player, what would your walk-up music be? Oh, God. Um, I don't think I've ever watched a game of baseball, so I'm not really sure what I'm meant to be picturing here. It's like pump-up um, music, kind of like like I think we could kind of change. You know how swimmers now kind of have that entrance where they've got the headphones on and like the Jedi yeah. robe? It's kind of like pump-up music to get you in the zone. Um, well, I listen to a lot of country music and like folk music, so it's not really pump up, but I find that it kind of like calms me down. So probably something like that. I'm obsessed with Zach Bryan at the moment, so I'd probably right. be playing him. Is there much of that in, in rugby sevens? Like sort of like I know a lot of teen sportsmen kind of like you're on the bus and kind of you're going to the venue, you've got the headphones in, you kind of you're in your zone. Does that happen with your team when you're on the way to a, a pitch? Um, yeah, sort of, but we have like a communal speaker that we use more. Um, so we kind of get like a playlist that everyone has a little bit of input into and find a few songs that everyone really likes. And, um, like before Rio, it was Chicken Fried by Zach Brown Band. Um, <laughs> we'd sing every time before we'd run out to play. Great. Um, so yeah, they're not really conventional songs you'd pick to pump people up, but, um, it works. Just stuff that everyone yeah, it works. You won a gold medal. So, I mean, I think kind of, you know, thanks, Zach Brown Band, you know, you, you yeah. send, send him a thank you tweet or something like that. Um, what is the best nickname you've ever been called? Um, all of my nicknames are pretty standard. I just get like Charlie, Shah. Um, my boyfriend or my fiancé calls me Chubba. It's probably not. Wow. Exactly not. No, I don't uh, know how uh, that one comes across, but um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you have one equally for him then that kind of matches that? Oh, not really. I don't know where it sort of came from. I think it was sort of like Charlotte cross Baba equal Chubba. And when I was little, I was really chubby, so kind of. 
Wow. I think we've got this trend recently on this show where we're finding these nicknames kind of are based on potentially with yours personal appearance and it's sort of people like, yeah, no, they just call me Bucky because I had buck teeth. I'm like, yeah, okay, and that's just you've stuck with it. All right. Fine. Sure. Yeah. Okay anymore, but. Yeah, well, I guess if you're used to it. Um, if there was a movie to be made about your life, who would you like to play you? Mm, uh, probably Megan Fox in her Transformer days. Okay, yeah, all right. That's um, I, I, I can see it. Like there's something in the eyes, I think, Charlotte. I, I kind of see. Yeah. Dark blue Good eyes. choice. That's- good choice. No, I like that. <laughs> I like it. With this. It's a great match. Good job. Like this is, this is good casting. <laughs> Hollywood, just- listen to this, you know. <laughs> I don't think Megan Fox has worked in a while, has she either? So, uh, for what she's like these days, but hopefully, still, Transformer was definitely her prime. Yeah, absolutely. I think we uh, all remember her from Transformers, that's for sure. Um, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Um, uh, I don't know. I have a small cattle farm at the moment, and I really enjoy that, but I don't know if I could be a farmer full time. Um, but I do love it and, um, enjoy that lifestyle, but I was studying social work as well for a little bit. So I kind of have a very broad range of things that I'm interested in Great. and I just want to hope something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure there's something, social working farmer, like I don't know how many of them <laughs> exist out there, but, uh, you know, could be a market for it. You never know. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure snack? Um, I have lots. Um, I love ice cream and chocolate. Um, and then I just like eating good food. Like I love going out and getting Thai or Japanese or something like that. So yeah, I have a lot of guilty pleasures that I probably should, (laughs) but I don't. So (laughs) I don't. We won't tell anyone. We won't tell anyone that at all. No one needs to know that ahead of Tokyo. Um, this one's always a tricky question. What is your favorite song lyric? Oh, um, probably, I don't really know it off the top of my head without it playing in the background, but um, Luke Bryan's Most People Are Good songs. Okay. Uh, um, it sort of like talks about how like in the world most people are good and, um, you know, mums are saints and that, yeah, like I don't know, I feel like it's really true that we always kind of look for the worst parts of people and the worst things in the world, but when you actually look at it, I think most people are actually really nice good. and good. Okay. Mm. I like that. Inspirational. Good. I like it. <laughs> Where is um the fa- your favourite place in the world to compete? Um, Definitely at home. I think in Australia it's, you can't beat it, playing in a home crowd with family and friends watching. Um, there's nothing better, but other than that, probably – Dubai, I've always enjoyed playing there. Right, fantastic. Uh, what was the last TV show that you binge watched? Um, probably Yellowstone. Okay. I would have been that, um, but now it's only coming out once a week, so it's like slow going. But um, <laughs> The old days, once a week for a TV show. <laughs> forward to Monday, though, every week. <laughs> yeah, oh, good old days, setting the VCR if you missed it. Uh, what is your favourite video game? Um, I don't play any video games, but I'd probably have to say like 
I don't even know, Crash Bandicoot or something Good that's game. like yeah. old school. Yeah. But I, I, I was probably like 10. <laughs> I think I think I don't know if it's been released yet outside of Japan, but I remember seeing reviews of the Tokyo 2020 official video game, and I do believe Rugby Sevens was in it. So, oh, uh, maybe if, that can- yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you might be in it. You don't know. Could be a, a likeness in there of, of you. Who knows? Uh, what is your biggest fear in life? Oh, that's hard. Um. I don't know. I don't really have very many fears. Um, probably not have. Uh, it would probably be if I have children one day and them not being happy. <laughs> <laughs> would you like them to but, follow in your footsteps and you know become Olympians, or is that entirely up to them? Entirely up to them. Like obviously, it'd be pretty cool. I think it'd be fun, like watching my parents travel around the world watching me looks like a good time. So I wouldn't mind getting a chance to do that as well on the spectator's end of the stick. But, yeah, I kind of have this dream of wanting one of my sons to play for Queensland and State of Origin, Ah, rugby league. Right. Um, I've told my fiancé that because he's New South Wales that I refuse to have my child in New South Wales. (laughs) Give birth if it ever happens. Wow. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it would be kind of, you know, growing up in that household, both parents are, uh, you know, Olympic sevens players. It would kind of, you know, like, oh, well, I'm going to go into state of origin. And then, well, then you've really got the divide going. Yeah. <laughs> they could break both your hearts and go and play Australian football. Then you'll, you'll oh, gee, how would yep. that turn out? Yeah. Grandparents' hearts, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the final question <laughs> for you today, Charlotte, what is the one thing that you can't live without? Um, oh, that's so hard. Um, can I say something silly like water or something? Of course you can. Uh, you can say whatever you want. Probably, you don't have to say your fiance. Who cares about him? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, let's just go with him. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, it's the one, yeah, him. All right, sure. Okay, we got it. You know, water. Yeah. Beyonce, sure. Uh, Charlotte, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, really great to, to learn a lot about not only the sport of rugby sevens, hear a lot about your career and still obviously plenty of uh, great things to come, no doubt, in, in your future. And as I said, we're going to be glued to our screens uh, Tokyo next year. I know during Tokyo, not only did I watch it, but when we were covering it on this podcast, we were we were glued. One of our co-hosts is Canadian. I think he had a cry because you beat them in the semifinal. But who cares? They got a bronze medal into them. That's a gold in the Summer Olympics. So they were happy about that. So uh, we look forward to seeing you bring home another gold next year in Tokyo. And we, we really appreciate your time here on Off the Podium today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And a huge honour to speak with Charlotte there. Lots of fun and we definitely wish her, of course, all that luck heading into Tokyo next year. Stay tuned for Off the Podium for more interviews coming your way. Hopefully another one coming your way next week. Stay tuned to see who that will be. If there isn't and if there's a bit of a gap, then we will at least have some coming your way and other sporadic points, I guess, in the future, sort of in the lead up to the Tokyo Games. We... We'll at least maybe have some form of episode coming your way at some point. We won't wait a whole year like we did in between our uh, sort of series that we're doing here and after the Commonwealth Games last year. We will keep you entertained in some form or another. So uh, just stay tuned. The easiest way to stay tuned, of course, is to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, 
subscribe to the podcast or good podcast service and that will definitely keep you entertained and informed to make sure that all those episodes are delivered directly to you, of course, all the time. Thanks again to Charlotte. Thanks for you for tuning in and listening. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium and we'll speak to you next time. Good night. Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think so.